0: welcome to the global venturing review podcast my name's james morse founder and editor-in-chief of our three publications global corporate venturing global university venturing and a sort of expanded revised global government venturing which is now being renamed global impact Venture. and we've been delighted to have back at the start of the new year 2019 thierry Hillis, thierry
1: Hi Jim. Uh, well, happy New Year as well to you. It's good to be back. Yeah,
0: happy New Year. Good, and we're going to try something new this year for the revised podcast. We're going to pick up the sort of top three stories from the past week or past two weeks, given we've had a Christmas break as well, and try and provide a bit of analysis, and then just rattle through the sort of rest of news of the bigger news in brief in that style. So, what was the what was the biggest deal that caught your eye over the past couple of weeks, Jerry?
1: Well, by far the uh, biggest deal is the fact that pharmaceutical firm Bristol Myers Squibb has agreed to acquire its peer, Selgin, in a buyout made up of cash and shares that will create a $74 billion business. It's obviously not the kind of deal we would usually cover, but both companies have corporate venturing portfolios and it's going to be interesting to see how they're merged and whether Selgin, the more active investor of the two by some distance, is able to keep up that activity.
0: Yeah, like you say, I think it's a fascinating example um funny enough i've just been speaking before the podcast recording with barbara dalton over at pfizer not about this deal i must say about bms and Celgene, but uh, but more about her perspective uh, she went through something similar nearly 20 or so years ago now with um the merger of glaxo with smith klein to form what is now glaxo smith klein and that created a uh, Sort of an interesting dynamic in that case, you know, Glaxo hadn't really been that effective as a corporate venture, whereas SmithKline with what had been SR1 still is SR1 now have been very effective and so created quite a bit of uh, upheaval and dynamics within the team. So I think that's probably going to be the thing that's going to be most interesting isn't whether, you know, they still find some way to continue doing corporate venturing as I'll be surprised if a company of that size doesn't do. But more about how they think about the personnel who runs it, you know, and what they're trying to do. And I think that could create a, a degree of uncertainty and waves of change over the next six to twelve months, given prior history.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, yeah, as you said, SR1 has been very successful, so um, there's uh, there's obviously a lot of potential with um, with these two giants merging together as well.
0: Yeah, it, it just creates a bit of a uh, uncertainty for what's quite going to happen. Over the next six to 12 months, I'm sure longer term, there will be more between the two, but, uh, there's just uh, a lot to happen. And I think actually we'll see, given the, where we are in the cycle, quite a bit more M&A activity creating these, you know, big giants and, uh, you know, and then the impact that has on the sort of venturing teams is obviously secondary to the merger, but, you know, potential that they think from a, from a parent company point of view. Uh, oh, so that's good. Anything else? What's the second, uh, second bit of news that caught your eye, Thierry?
1: Well, we also have Singapore-based on-demand ride service Grab, which has increased the potential size of its Series H round, already backed by several corporate investors, to five billion dollars. The company has been raising money for the round since June last year, when it received a billion dollars from Toyota, adding a billion dollars in August from investors including Ping An Capital, and then the Mirai Asset Naver Asia Growth Fund also backed the second close after booking holdings. Invested two hundred million in October for Hyundai and Kia Motors provided $250 million weeks later. As Grab revealed, the round also included Microsoft City Ventures and Goldman Sachs Investment Partners. The company then raised a further $50 million from Kazikorn Bank the same week and secured $150 million from Yamaha Motor last month to take the round to $2.85 billion. Now Grab had said it planned to close the round at $3 billion before the end of the year, but now SoftBank's Vision Fund is apparently interested in investing up to 1.5 billion in the round, encouraging Grab to increase its size. This it has previously raised a total of 3.7 billion dollars in funding. Lots of big figures in there, so uh, yeah, it is. I think
0: it's the kind of key takeaway. This company raised 3.7 billion so far, and it's potentially going to be raising 5 billion in this round, a $5 billion round. I mean, it's hard to think of, you know, an IPO, for example, you know, they might list the shares of a valuable company, think of Alibaba, but not really raise a huge amount of money on the whole. Yeah, I mean, the Alibaba, I think, it, you know, it's, uh, it was billions, you know, or Facebook, again, you know, they they can raise a lot of money in this. But, you know, for a, effectively a private equity investment you know it's it's just eye-opening i think it just points to the change this sort of merger of the sort of private and public capital market structures you know that, that effectively companies are able to say look this is such a big important business in such a growing area that owning a small chunk as we would with any large public company is worthwhile It just happens to be private but if it reaches a scale of a alibaba or a facebook then Listing it at whatever point becomes, you know, becomes much simpler. You know, if you're a 70 billion valued company, for example, creating an IPO just becomes a matter of when, not if. And I think that's the, that's the fundamental change as people say, well, we think this company has reached such a sort of tipping point or dynamic that we can do this. So why not provide the money in a private, and if we own 5% of a 7 billion company, well, it's like owning 5% of a 70 billion company uh, after its IPO. Well, I think the sort of interesting dynamic that we can then see, which is probably the second part of the coin, is actually what a Danish company called Novo has been doing. They they they, um, they got a sort of new CEO in, and you know, they're a 50 billion sort of holding company. In fact, they, they grew out of uh, sort of pharma. And they've started, you know, setting up a team to effectively do principal investments where they say, take the same venture capital approach that they've been doing as a CVC in the private market and say, well, why don't we do this for public companies? How do we find a large listed company and own 10% of it and help it grow and think strategically about the growth of that? And in effect, reverse engineer private equity stroke corporate venture model for the public markets. And I think, you know, that's the next stage. We started to see Tencent be very successful with that approach. Novo obviously are moving into that area. And I think it's just a reversal. In effect, private markets start to look like the public markets. So why don't you use the same techniques you use in private for public investments? You know, in a way an activist or a private equity shareholder has been doing, you know, in leverage buyouts, just apply it to the public markets. And it's a really interesting time that we're in uh and it's and grab fair play to it. I mean it's obviously fantastically successful and being you know delivering enormous sort of returns to its existing shareholders, but I think real implications are is what does this say more broadly about how people think that they create value from deals
1: yeah, yeah so <laughs> i I don't know i I am slightly more cynical perhaps in that I'm wondering. What will happen if or perhaps even when the first such company collapses that has raised such massive rounds, whether that may mean that, um, that will scare investors off in quite a, uh, a big way. Cause obviously there's a lot of, um, a lot of really large numbers here and that's, that's a lot of money that could potentially be lost if, if Grab did fail. And
0: yeah, but I mean, it's no different from, you know, look at, look at the life cycle of, uh, FTSE or a list, large listed companies, about 25 years. And so for that sort of turnover, look at the sort of transformation at GE or IBM or any other large listed industrial or any other company, large company, you know, the value destruction that's gone on. If you've been a shareholder all the way through some of these big companies, that end up imploding in many ways or sort of restructuring and you know, becoming much smaller is, you know, is incredible. So I think the issue isn't so much, you know, can investors get used to the risk profile? It's how do they think about the value creation profile that providing strategic investment can bring? You no, know, and I think this is the difference. You know, it's why private equity. You know, research shows this, you know has been a, a more effective governance tool on the whole for creating value and driving investment. Why is it that venture backed, corporate venture backed companies in particular have a high innovation rate and a high patent portfolio? Is that likely to mean they're more innovative and therefore more likely to grow? Therefore more likely to be acquirers of other companies and, and hence more successful and scale up? Yes. You know, so I think the question isn't whether, you know, people can get used to the risk. It's whether they could get used to how most investors without this thinking of how to add value back to their portfolio companies can do so. And whether you're a public market or a private market it's how do you find the tools to be able to change the governance to be able to make the change so that you can add the value and i think it's you know it'd be interesting whether we could do that you know if a grab per se fails or you know a tesla or you know a facebook or snap or any other company that's been private goes public or is yet to go public you know think about uber you know uber might be valued at 70 billion where it might list at 140 billion it might list at 40 billion Who knows? but there's a phenomenal opportunity if you can look at large listed companies and think you can create value by applying effectively the corporate venture and strategy that people have taken in smaller deals in the private markets and applying it to bigger companies. So it's funny enough, one of the areas I'm most interested in about our GCVI summit at the end of this month, the end of January in Monterey, California. We've got a whole track on, you know, the sort of – um or effectively exits, but it's looking at how do you look at the MA, how do you look at the IPOs and apply these types of tools and strategies. And I think it should be a, a great opportunity because I think if you can do this, you know, the, you know, the listed markets are, are trillions in size. The, the private equity stroke venture capital markets are hundreds of billions, if not, you know, going into the lower figure trillion markets. So the sort of value opportunity is so much bigger if you can get this this analogy. If you can get this uh, this valuation perspective right. So I think Grab is a, a great example of what you know what this change dynamic can start to look at. But actually, I think Novo and a uh, ten are, are
1: probably you know light years ahead of most of the others. You uh, you, you might change my mind yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, who thinks we're in an echo chamber here, Thierry? We, we never know.
1: <laughs> well, I certainly look forward to um, to going some of the uh, the panels at the GCVI about m um, and and IPOs. So that should be very interesting indeed.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's a phenomenal group of uh, of folks we got leading that session. So I uh, mean, Christina Riboldi, yourself, Paul, together the agenda's done a, a stellar job on that side of things. Oh, fantastic. Great. So, uh, what about third? What's uh, What's the other deal that's caught, uh, caught your attention?
1: Well, we have uh, we have an exit that actually involves um, both corporates and universities. Medical device manufacturer Boston Scientific has acquired the rest of the shares in one of its portfolio companies, US-based mitral regurgitation system developer Millipede Medical, for $325 million. The transaction is expected to close within the first quarter of this year, and Millipede will receive an additional $125 million payment if it reaches an unspecified commercial milestone. Millipede is working on a medical device to treat patients suffering from severe mitral regurgitation, which is a condition that causes blood to flow in the wrong direction in the heart. Boston Scientific secured an option to wholly acquire the rest of Millipede's shares when it made a $90 million primary and secondary investment in the company in January last year. That deal also, interestingly, gave Millipede the right to compel Boston Scientific to acquire it following an inhuman trial and the company reveals that it recently completed such a trial for the technology. Millipede was co-founded by VC firm at majority investor Sante Ventures, together with Stephen Bolling, who is a professor of cardiac surgery at University of Michigan, and it had only raised $6.2 million from seven undisclosed backers in 2016, according to eight securities filing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right to pick on this one. It's a, it's a great exit, obviously, of buying a portfolio company. It's an interesting, you know, uh, a lot of corporate shy away from what are called rofers or right of first refusal to be able to buy something or let alone sort of structured sort of put or call options to be able to sort of, for the company to be able to put the shares to you or you to be able to call them in to buy in the rest of it if uh, certain conditions are met. But certainly when it comes to sort of the, uh, medical devices segment they you know they're they're, uh, they're perhaps more common there in most other areas of most other industries that cvcs are operating in so you know the fact that this deal has sort of achieved it you know Boston scientific knows them well and you know you can obviously then distribute it, it you know it's obviously a great um opportunity I think for all sides to uh, make the world a better place you know if you can have fewer mitral regurgitation as you say you know I don't think I particularly want my blood to flow here Wrong way in the heart, and if I can't have open heart surgery, I'm not sure I, even if I want that. I particularly want <laughs> <natural> <laughs> no, regurgitation. No. So I, I think anything that can uh, prevent or limit this is a good thing. My book, uh, Thierry, and hopefully I, I um, I, I won't have to rely on millipedes technology in future.
1: Yeah, yeah, same here. I, uh, I, it, it's great that it's out there, but I hope I, uh, I never come across it in real life. <laughs> As with so many oh, things. Good stuff, all right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, we do see a number of CVCs really focus on the sort of portfolio company acquisitions. Cisco, obviously, is one that comes more immediately to to mind, and they do a couple of where they actually set up these sorts of companies. It's not as rare. We normally see somewhere between 3 and 12% of portfolio companies bought by a, um, a uh, depending on the year, by a sort of corporate venture investor. And so, uh, yeah, but uh, like I say, certain segments are, are more likely to see it Particularly where there are fewer big, you know, big players that are, that are sort of aggressive in in maintaining market share or buying up uh, potentially interesting startups. Yeah, so, oh, right. Okay, so those are those are the big three. Well, do you want to rattle through the uh, the the other bits, Thierry?
1: Yes. Well, with deals, they're not even small deals. Mostly because we we have quite a bit of time to cover. But Verily, which was spun off from Alphabet's Google X division in 2015. To apply data science technology to healthcare data in order to create innovative life sciences and care management products has now raised a whopping $1 billion in a Silver Lake-led round that will support strategic partnerships and acquisitions. The deal comes in the wake of an $800 million investment by Tamazek two years ago. And financial, e-commerce group Alibaba's financial services affiliate has co-led a funding round sized at almost $582 million for Hello Transtech a China-based operator of bicycle rental service Hello Bike, The round was co-led by investment firm Primavera Capital Group and included undisclosed existing backers. WuWa Brothers, a South Korea-based food delivery app owner backed by internet company CyberAgent and financial services firm Goldman Sachs, has raised $320 million at a $2.6 billion valuation. Hedge fund manager Hillhouse Capital led that round which included VC firm Sequoia Capital and Singapore government-owned sovereign wealth fund GIC. Internet group Tencent has led a $300 million round for China-based online education platform developer Yan Fudao. Private equity firm Warburg Pincus, VC firm Matrix Partners China and VC group IDG Capital also participated in the round, which valued the company at more than $3 billion. US-based oncology drug developer Rakuten Aspirian has completed a $284 million Series C round featuring e-commerce firm Rakuten and financial services provider SBI Group. The close of the round came through the provision of a $134 million of funding that was added to a $150 million first tranche secured in August last year. The first close was led by Rakuten Chief Executive Hiroshi Mikitani, who is also Rakuten Aspirian's chairman. AR game developer Niantic has secured $190 million in funding in a round that could have included Samsung and Axiomatic. The last title to be released by Nintendo and NetEase-backed Niantic, Pokemon Go, proved to be a true goldmine for the company and the latest funds will be put toward a Harry Potter game it's developing with Warner Brothers that is due to be released later this year. The year's first big crypto round has been raised by BACT, a cryptocurrency trading platform that secured approximately $183 million in a round backed by Microsoft's M12 unit, as well as PayU, Boston Consulting Group and Intercontinental Exchange, the futures exchanges operator that launched BACT in August. Cancer therapy developer Anton Jean has completed a $120 million Series B round featuring insurer Tycank and pharmaceutical firms Selgene and Wuxi ApTech. The funding will support the progression of five product candidates focusing on unmet need for patients in East and Southeast Asia, as well as the planned commercial launch of two of them. And on global university venturing, we have a Nexon Biosciences, a US-based immunotherapy developer spun out of Stanford University, which closed a $75 million series round backed by Novartis Venture Fund the CVC unit of pharmaceutical firm Novartis. The capital will support clinical development of Anexon's two lead candidates, one for ophthalmic conditions and one for autoimmune and neurodegenerative diseases, and including proof-of-concept studies due to report back this year. And for exits, we have just the one. One of the IPOs said to take place in early 2019 will likely involve FUTU. The China-based digital brokerage operator that has filed to raise up to $300 million in a US offering. Its largest external investor, Tencent, owns more than 38% of the company, having backed its since Series A stage before leading a $146 million Series C round in 2017. Looking at funds. E-commerce group Alibaba's electronic world trade platform at online listings platform 58.com have co-anchored a $200 million first close for a fund launched by China-based venture capital firm ATM Capital. The corporates were joined by private investors, including Xiaoxuan Wang, chief executive of search engine provider Sogu. The firm has not disclosed its final target for the fund or when it expects to reach the final close. Oil and gas supplier Saudi Aramco and IT services provider Saudi Information Technology Company have teamed up to form a corporate venturing vehicle. That will back emerging information and communication technologies. The as yet unnamed fund will look at promising growth stage IT and communications businesses and will primarily invest in Saudi Arabia as well as other Middle Eastern countries in the Gulf Corporation Council. It has not disclosed a fund size. And Egypt based financial services firm Commercial Investment Bank, CIB, has launched a corporate venturing unit called C Ventures to help drive emerging technologies in the fintech sector. The fund will primarily target Series A and Series B rounds, but will also consider taking equity in seed stage companies. It will focus on fintech businesses in markets including Egypt, the Middle East, and Africa. And finally, Ben Gurion, University of the Negev, is to put $1 billion into a university venture fund called Cactus Capital to back emerging projects led by university students, recent graduates, and other academic entrepreneurs. The fund will officially launch under BGU's Center for Entrepreneurship and will invest across three tracks, with two of the strands offering up to 5,000 to early-stage projects and one tier providing a maximum of $20,000 to more advanced startups. And finally, People. GV, a corporate venturing subsidiary of internet and technology conglomerate Alphabet, has hired Rosanna Kappeler former chief scientific officer at biotech company Nimbus Therapeutics, as its first entrepreneur-in-residence for life sciences. GFI has also hired David Reshev, a statistician with a PhD from MIT, as a venture partner. He will focus on investments in machine learning technology developers operating in the biotech industry. Michael Lieberhausen left Energy Venture Capital, the investment fund backed by energy utility RVE Energy and wind power producer co-network Energien, at the end of December. Lieberhusen joined Energy Venture Capital in 2016 and headed it in partnership with Frank Stahman, who will take over sole management of the unit as Managing Director. Lieberhusen has not revealed any future plans. And Emad Fuat, Head of Structuring, Execution and Venture Capital for Egypt-based private sector bank, Commercial International Bank, has joined its newly established corporate venture capital unit, C Ventures, as Managing Director. Andreas Jurgait, meanwhile, formerly a director at Germany-based pharmaceutical firm Merck Group's corporate venturing arm Merck Ventures, is to join Life Sciences Foundation Lundbeck Foundation's early-stage investment unit. Lundbeck Fonden emerge as a partner. Vincent Peterson, formerly a managing director at RTL Ventures, RTL Group's corporate venturing arm, co-founded asset management firm Averest Capital in September last year and as a managing partner at Everest Capital Peterson will be responsible for deal execution, strategy, innovation and sustainability for its portfolio companies. And finally, University of Manchester has appointed Andrew Wilkinson, currently the head of the institution's 2D material product department, Graphene Enabled Systems, or GES, as chief executive of its tech transfer office, UMI3. Wilkinson succeeds Clive Rowland, who is moving on this month to become Manchester's vice president for intellectual property matters.
0: Great. Well thank you very much for that, Thierry. A good sort of roundup of news. Obviously it's been a quite a busy two weeks. It feels like some people haven't had much of a, a holiday season, certainly, so if I look at some of those big deals. But I'm sure they're in the pipeline uh, in Q four anyway. But uh and uh just looking at the start of January there's quite a few sort of people moves have been announced now, so we'll have a bit more of those to come over the next week or so. So Thanks once again for that. Looking forward to uh, next week's uh, podcast and catching up with everyone at the G C B R Summit later this month.
1: Speak soon. Speak soon. Bye, Jim. And if you'd like to send us any comments, feedback, please feel free to do so. You can reach me at healers at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. If you feel so inclined, give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you download this podcast from. Recommend us to your friends and colleagues. We really do like seeing those download numbers climb and it helps us get the word out. If you're interested at coming to our January conference in Monterey, California, that Jim mentioned earlier as well, head on over to gcvisummit.com and purchase tickets. Before we're sold out because we have sold out every year so far. If you buy your tickets by January 16th, so you've got another nearly two weeks left if you download this on the Monday, you get 5% discount on the final on-the-door sales. With that, I wish you a productive week, and we will speak to you again next week. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.